Everybody get on your feet real quick. Grab your Bible. What an honor it is today for Steph and I. We don't get to leave home together very often. And uh, it is a blessing not only to have her here, but our son Colin with us today. And uh, on the way over here, we were kind of wondering what they're doing at home when the three of us are gone. But it is such an honor to be here today. And uh, I'm looking forward to what God's going to do this morning as well as tonight. Look at your neighbor and say, tonight, everything in your life is about to get a shake up. Because I believe tonight is going to punctuate everything that takes place here today. I want to express our love to the angels of this, of this house, our friends, your pastors. Can you please tell your pastors today how much you love them? And uh, it's awesome to see friends all over the house. I want you to turn your Bible to John chapter number 2. Now, Steph and I both... Uh, you know, sometimes you go places, you believe you know what God wants, and then the closer it gets, the more of His mind you receive. And so I didn't come with a sermon today, but I did come to prophesy and declare something into the atmosphere of this house. And I asked God, you know, who it is I'm preaching to when... I travel and I just want to say to the pastors today, I'm here to preach to the two of you. And I just believe God has got a word for this place. What a place. Just tell your neighbor, you're, you're spoiled. Do you know that? Turn around and tell somebody behind you, you're spoiled. I heard, I saw a wife. Now, wives, be careful when you're talking to your husband. Are you thankful for such an amazing house of God to worship in every week? John's Gospel, chapter number two. Now, this is such a familiar story. And I want to caution you. Sometimes it's difficult to learn what you think you already know. And so as we dig into this, I'm not, I don't have a sermon to preach. I want to declare a season. Does anybody believe that you serve a God whose word shifts seasons? So you are always one word away from a brand new moment, a brand new season, a brand new open door in God. And so what I want desperately to do today is to ask for the spirit of prophecy and the spirit of revelation to fall in this place. Father, we ask you today, let the very winds of heaven flow in this room. Let your presence reveal to us what is available in this season and we'll give you praise and everybody shouts amen. John's Gospel chapter 2. I'm old school so let's stand for the reading of the word this morning. Verse number 1. And the third day. There was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, 
the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what have I to do with you? My hour is not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. There were set six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. I like that. And he said to them, draw it out now and take it to the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he knew not whence it was, but the servants knew. See, every miracle needs somebody. All of us want the miracle, but there's still got to be some servants. For God to do the supernatural, there's got to be somebody willing to do the natural. But the servants knew. And said unto him, every man set forth the best wine at the beginning, but when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But you have kept the good wine until right now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed. I want to talk this morning. I'm not much for naming messages, but I want to instill a concept that I believe is a season shift in this place. And the words are the tipping point. Everybody get your, anybody got a lean on this morning? Come on, somebody has to make me feel at home. Look, look at your neighbor and say, you're about to get your, there you go. Come on, talk to me. Somebody over here, just bump your neighbor and say, get ready. I'm about to get my, you may be seated this morning. Anybody ready? Somebody over here, help me and just let me know you're ready for what God is about to do this morning. The tipping point. Now, I know I'm not first on this. I, I am not early, but I do want to be the latest to confirm to you this morning that revival is not coming. It's here. Oh, I want to shout this with everything that I've got. What you've been believing for. I know what you've been waiting on. Can I just prophesy it to you? Stop waiting. You're standing in the middle of it. It's here. Whatever you are needing, I believe your breakthrough, your healing, the fix you've been believing for, just somebody shouted, it's here. I'm not waiting anymore. I wish somebody would act like you're not waiting anymore. I'm not waiting anymore. I'm standing in the middle of my breakthrough and this praise <laughs> signifies that I believe I'm in the middle of it. I know the church has been waiting for this thing to shift and change. I believe it's time for the remnant within the church to stand up and declare, we're, it's here now. What we are believing for, we are standing in the middle of right now. 
I want to lay a foundation this morning. It may take me just a second to get all the way around the bush. I'm a country boy, so those metaphors make sense to me. It may take me a minute to get around the bush, but I want to lay a foundation this morning. So for you note takers, I didn't bring many, but let me start right here. First of all, we have to understand this. Everything that God does, he does in time. So when God gets ready to move in his remnant church, he always picks a time. Ecclesiastes 3, 1, the Bible says to everything, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heavens, which means that your thing also has a timing. I like that. I, I know sometimes I know I've waited a long time for things. Anybody been waiting on something a long time? Three people. Well, I'm going to preach to all three of you and just hang on because Every time God gets ready to move in your life, he picks a time. Galatians 4, 4 says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. So one minute it wasn't time. One minute we were waiting. One minute we were hanging on with everything we had. And then the next minute it was time. Can I talk to somebody in this room? That's the way God works. But when time gets full of the purpose of God, there isn't a devil in hell that can keep it from rushing into your life. And i got to preach to somebody and tell you, it's time for somebody's thing in the room this morning. If that's you, I dare you to make enough noise. Your thing knows exactly where to find you. Come on, I believe it's my time for the, what God has promised my life. Time is a fickle mistress. It's a funny thing. It is an adversary of faith. Because the more time elapses from the time of the promise to the time of the fulfillment of that promise, Time has a way of eating away at expectation. When the word came, I believed, but then time happened. You've got to be careful while you're waiting that you don't let time mess with your expectation. Amen. There's a whole lot of us in the room that have let go of the promise of God before the provision of that promise showed up because time happened in our life. I want to tell you, I don't care how much time has elapsed between when the promise came and the fulfillment of the provision. Your thing has a time. I need somebody to walk out of here believing. What I'm believing for has a time. And when time gets full of the purpose of God, nothing can stop it. Everything God does, he does in time. Secondly, write this down. Everything God does is preceded by a word. So when you ask God for a miracle, he doesn't give you the miracle. He gives you a word. And then it's your response to that word that will determine the sort of future you are about to walk into. Tell your neighbor, wake up this morning. Take a break from your grocery list because you are about to get a word from God. Word starts stuff in your life. When your prophets stand in this pulpit and they begin to open up your mouth, you know what they're doing? Starting something. Look at your neighbor and say, there's something about to get started in your life. In your life today. Amen. Let's get it started. Come on, somebody. Every time God wants to begin something, 
He does it by sending a word. You can look at the creation narrative and understand that God initiates everything by the power of his word. Amos 3, 7 says the Lord doesn't do nothing unless he reveals it first to his servants, the prophets. Somebody's about to get a word of revelation. God's about to show you what is available to you. That is the very spirit of revelation. It shows you the possibility in the promise of God. Well, before the word came, I didn't know it was mine. But after the word came, I can't act like I don't know that it's mine. He didn't, I didn't even know there were houses I didn't build and wells I didn't dig and vineyards I didn't plant. But once I get that word, I can't go back to the me I was before I learned those things were available in my life. I want somebody to shout over what you know is available to you that hadn't shown up yet. Come on, somebody talk some faith to me. Everything God does, he does in time. Everything he does is preceded by a word of revelation. Woo. Revelation creates vision. Once I see it, I can't unsee it. Once I hear it, I cannot unhear it. I cannot act like the me I was before the word came. Because now I see possibilities. Yes. Thirdly, if you're a note taker, write this down. When God sends you revelation, revelation is permission. Oh, I want to preach this. Once I know it's mine, I don't have to ask permission. I'm going to shout and need to preach. I don't have to ask permission anymore. Now it's time to pursue. I believe I'm in the room with some folks that understand your promise is worth pursuing. I'm not going to sit here and wait on it. I don't take territory without moving my feet. I feel like I'm ready to go get everything he's promised. Let's use this as a foundation this morning. For John chapter 2, and I want you to try desperately to forget what you've heard about this. And let's dig a little deeper. Any shovel, any shovel workers in the room with me? My daddy told me only one way to dig a ditch. One shovel at a time, baby. I want to jump into John chapter 2 like you believe. God's doing a new thing. Oh, how I want to shout need to preach, but God's doing a new thing. And so when we dive in here, we get a setting and an understanding. John chapter 1, John chapter 2 verse 1 says, and the third day. What is that? A specific? Because everything God does, he does in. So now we have a specific Time. And you do understand that God does his best work on the third day. Talk to me, somebody. Graves empty. Stones get rolled away. Death gets swallowed up in victory on the third day. And I feel like when we broke into 2023 that God opened up a third day anointing over the church because I see dead men walking. I see dead stuff come to life. Amen. Shout the third day. 
when God chose to exercise authority over death, hell, and the grave, he didn't pick any day. He picked the third day. Hallelujah. And I believe we are living in that moment of the third day anointing. I'm telling you, dead dreams are coming alive. I don't know what you left in the grave of your yesterday, but I'm telling you, you better get ready. That thing's about to come forth. I feel a Lazarus third day anointing. God is calling to the deadness in the heart of his bride. It's time to come alive. I hear you, Holy Ghost. It's time to come alive. Amen. The third day is an interesting day because as I have dug into this, the third day is the day of the bride. I didn't know this, but in Israel, most Jewish weddings are on Tuesday. You know why? It's the third day of the week. Can I tell you, this is a peculiar moment in the body of Christ because it's the day of the bride. You say, I don't understand what God's doing, but I know he's not leaving me alone. Anybody feel like this whole year, it doesn't matter what you do, he's calling you deeper. Just when I think I've accomplished what he asked from me last, and I've taken the steps of faith, all of a sudden I I feel something grabbing me. Why? Because this is not the day, amen, of kind of playing around the outskirts of the body of Christ. You got to get in. Get right or get left. Talk to me, somebody. Because this is the day when the remnant is being identified. This is the day when the bride hears the voice of the groom calling her to a season of preparation. This is the season of the bride. These are not casual Christians. These are not weekend warriors. I don't have time to go in the subculture we've created in the church where it is in vogue to go to church and out of vogue to be. Talk to me, somebody. Everybody goes to church now. But I want to know who is the church in the church? Shut your neighbor and say it's the day of the bride. You better get ready. There's been a sifting in the body of Christ. The wheat and the tares have been allowed to grow together for a season. But there is a separation taking place in the body. Those of you that have felt the leading of the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. And you wonder what's going on. I'll tell you what's going on. God's getting the bride ready. God's getting the remnant ready. You may see a few go and wonder what is happening. I'll tell you what's happening. The great separation is taking place in the body. Amen. Hallelujah. The great separation. Steph and I have wondered the sifting that's taken place in the body. And as a pastor, see, you bleed to see people come. And you bleed when you see them go. I'm telling you, you better get ready because God is identifying the remnant. It's not my church. As much as I love you, it is not your church. It is his church. And he will separate those who are from those who are not. 
Anybody with me? Can you give the Lord about 15 seconds of praise that lets him know you're ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. If it's me, Lord, pull me. Don't leave me like I am. Woo! Hallelujah. Amen. And the third day, it's the day of the bride. I read this little story. It's funny because sometimes God gives you stories before he gives you the word. The story goes with, I was reading this story about this family on the way to a wedding, and it was their little son's first wedding ever. And so they're trying to get him ready because what they don't want is for him to outburst in the middle of the wedding. So mama's giving him all kinds of instructions, and he begins to ask the question, Mom, because she's telling him about the bride. Oh, the whole day, she says, looking at the husband, is about the bride. The whole day, everything you're about to see. And so that's why you got to be quiet because she's going to come. And the little boy in the back seat, he leans up and he says, Mom, this bride. He said, how am I going to know which one's the bride? I want to get down there and preach on this floor. And you know what she said? She's the one wearing white. Can I tell you in the body of Christ what we have come away from in this new subculture of the church we've created where it's so popular to sit in the pew. We have this spirit of mixture that has been dulling down the vibrant glory of God upon the bride. We have been dressed in gray as we have between been between opinions. But can I tell you the bride he's coming for is a bride that has been purified for the moment. Tell your neighbor, say, she's the one in white. Can I preach down here? Are you sure? I don't want to disobey, even though I am a, I'm a good rule breaker. I'm going to spit on somebody today. Who's ready? Tell your neighbor, say, she's the one in white. There's a whole lot of people going to church, but can I tell you, God is clarifying those that are his. He said, I know them that are mine are the ones that can hear and follow and obey my voice. Which one's the bride, mom? She's the one in white. She went on to tell him, she said, the bride, you'll notice. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Let there be light. She said, she has her own song. Who can I tell you? You can tell the ones that are really his. They don't need no leader. They don't need a cheerleader. They don't need a team. They got their own song. Tell your neighbor, I got my own song. The bride, you watch her. She's forever moving toward the altar. Can I tell you, in this moment where we're living, you can tell the ones that are his. You, you have a healing conference and everybody's there. Prosperity. We're, but when you have a prayer meeting, I've told my staff this year, I'll tell you who's are his in this place. Because when the prayer meeting gets bigger than Sunday morning, that's when you know God has identified his bride forever moving toward the altar. And the third day, there was a marriage. 
in Cana of Galilee. Everybody shout the third day. The third day. You know the third day is the only day of creation where God said it is good twice. Look at your neighbor and say it ain't about to be good. It's about to be good, good. Tell your neighbor your marriage is about to get good, good. Your finances are about to get good, good. Your physical body ain't just going to get all right. It's about to be Talk to me, somebody. This thing is about to be good. Doesn't matter what struggle you face, you better get ready for good, good. It doesn't matter how many times you've cried, you better get ready for the double good that is about to explode in your life. Good, good. I ain't stopping till it's. Come on, somebody. I, I'm going to believe till it's good, good. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Verse 2, get in your Bible. Work with me. And both Jesus was called. Watch this. And his disciples. Jesus was called. So watch this. He was responding, oh, I feel your Holy Ghost, to invitation. Let me say it again. He, was, he wasn't there except by, huh. you know what we do in the body of Christ is we've learned to do church so good that we stopped inviting him to the wedding. I mean, we got musicians and lights. I didn't grow up in a church with padded pews. They were wood bottoms, wood tops. We didn't want you to get too comfortable. There wasn't no sleeping in our church. Because every two minutes, you was changing positions. Come on, talk to me, somebody. But now, we it's so plush. It's so put together. It's so good. It's as good as the other entertainments of our lives. So now we've challenged the world at doing stuff that keeps people entertained. And so we leave God out of his own house. Can I tell you the reason God stopped showing up in our lives is because we stopped inviting him. He responds to an invitation. There's got to be a church that understands if you don't show up, it just don't matter. Now watch this. I never had this thought till this moment. This was about to be a monumental day in the ministry of the Son of God. This was about to begin the countdown to the cross. That's the reason in just a minute he says, no, no, no. I'm not ready yet. Because he knew when he stepped out of the shadow, he was on a countdown to the cross. So we know on the backside how important the day was. But the people who were doing the inv inviting on the front side 
had no idea. See, you don't know exactly how monumental it will be if we get him to show up. What would he start today if we begged him? We can't do this without you. You don't know what he would start in your life. You don't know how monumental the moment might be if you get him to show up. He was responding to an invitation. Both Jesus was called and his disciples. Everybody say, and his. Everybody at the wedding, not a disciple. I better not stay there. Y'all pray. You've been good so far. Pray. We're working on the rest of them. Y'all stay. You don't get quiet on me. What time is it? Oh, Lord. What time are you? I'm not talking to him. I'm talking to you. What time do you usually get out of church on Sunday morning? That's a lie. I feel a lie in the room. All right. All right. Here we go. Watch this. Both Jesus was called and his disciples. Now here, here this hit me. Pastor, because he had not yet done anything publicly to reveal who he was. And still, there were some who were tight enough in his immediate circle. They didn't need the miracle to have properly identified who he was. He had some disciples before the miracle. You know what God is looking for? Are some people so tight with him. I don't need the miracle to know who you are. I know because I've been with you. I can understand the growing number of disciples after the miracle. But there were some so tight that they were already disciples. Let's progress. Verse 3. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said to Jesus, they have no wine. Circle the word wanted in your Bible. There you go. Circle it. Let me see you write in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible you can write in, put that one in a museum, get you one you can write in. When they wanted, not only does God respond to invitation, you know what else he responds to? Desire. You know what I, listen, I, I came up in a holiness church. I, I know you can't, that's no context for that in this generation. I'm talking about no pants on the girls. And this, this wasn't, you know, a lot of times when somebody says that, you think all of a sudden they're, Jesus only or oneness. No, no, no. Full gospel. There was just a, a manner of holiness. I didn't have a TV in my home until I was 15 years old. Our preachers preach you couldn't go to heaven with them hell boxes in your house. Maybe true. I'm going to work over here. I'm going to work over here. Come on. But you, but you know what? But you know what? And we came up with them wood ceilings and the wood floors. Son, a clap and a pat. You could shake hell 
Hallelujah. We didn't have the best music, but we had some folks. Hella high water. They were coming. You know what God is looking for in this generation? We have become people who have so many appetites that our desire for the things of God pales because we're eating from so many resources that we don't believe we need the source. You're watching me because resources and sources are two different things. Amen. God still responds to desire. If there was anything I believe that has to happen in the remnant church is that we got to get our appetite back. I'm not talking about appetite for stuff because we've used God, amen, to itch or to scratch our own lusts for more stuff. When they wanted wine, watch this, it was desire that was about to unstop the well. They wanted something they did not have. But we are the Laodicean prophetic church and our feeling is we're rich increased with goods and have need nothing where's the hunger has the deer pants after the water my soul longs for you my soul is hungry amen Somebody's got to get thirsty. They that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Thirsty. I have kids, four of them. Colin's the oldest. I have two in college. My oldest daughter is married. And what's cool about having kids, y'all take it, just breathe for a second, man. Everybody's is you get to stay hip on the lingo. Who knows what I'm talking about? The only thing is, once you've learned this lingo, you are not granted authority to use it. Because when it comes out of my mouth, all of a sudden, oh my God, Dad, seriously. I've been listening to you use this word for months. Now all of a sudden, so I heard my boy, uh, uh, my kids using the word thirsty. Who knows what I'm talking about? And you know what I found very helpful is the Urban Dictionary. So I went to the Urban Dictionary and I looked up the word thirsty. You know what it means? It means too eager to get something. Look at your neighbor and say, I wish you would. I wish you were too eager to give him praise and too eager to serve him and too eager to give. Come on, somebody. I wish you would. The third day, there was a marriage in Canaan. Jesus and his disciples were invited. Verse four. Jesus said, what have I to do with you Mine hour is not yet come. She was wanting him to do something 
he didn't feel ready for. Now look up here at me, because I'm going to minister to someone right now. I know what it feels like to be in a season of not yet. I can tell you this right now. I've been serving God most of my life. I have been in pursuit of revival 30 years full time. Now I can't even believe it. I've been in ministry 30 years full time. I have chased revival with every cell in my body. But I can tell you this, nothing prepares you for the season of not yet. Not yet can crack your soul right in two. Not yet can break your heart. I don't care how much faith you have. In fact, is the more faith you have for it, the more ammunition the enemy has for sending arrows of fear and doubt and unbelief to crack your soul wide open. Because when you believe with everything and you know it's available and you know he paid for it and you know it's yours, but the answer is do things to your heart you cannot even begin to imagine. I would imagine there's some people in this room whose souls are cracked this morning because of a not yet. Not yet. You know what it does to faith? When you pray and you fast and you sow and you give and you serve and you pour everything you are out on the altar and still the answer is not yet. I will not bore you about our troubles and trials trying to get a building built. And you know what I've been in? A season of not yet. How do you deal when it's not yet? How do you praise when it's not yet? How do you, I've been in some places and I'll be honest enough, amen, because I don't serve you, I serve him. But I'll be honest enough to tell you, I've been in some places as a pastor. I didn't know how to pray anymore because of the not yet season. How is it? Not yet. I know it's mine. I can't have it yet. You ever told a kid you were going to give him a sucker? Come on, talk to me, somebody. But you just didn't want to do it. In fact, is we didn't tell our kids till the day before we were going on vacation. You don't know what I'm talking about, but when you got four babies, not yet can burn a whole house down. What do you mean we're going to Disney, but not yet? Mine hour. Not yet. You know what I found too, Pastor? There's a difference between wait, W E I G H T, and wait, W A I T. I'm built for the W E I G H T. I can carry it. But the wait, W A I T, can sometimes cripple my faith. And I, that's just being honest. Not yet. Y'all in here with me? Can you handle a few more? They took the clock down? That's, that's, that's a cruel trick right there. Verse 5, you with me? I'm trying to extract the prophetic value out of these verses. Now watch what, he, watch what verse 5. Verse 5 says, His mother 
said to the servants. I like this, because she didn't even act like she heard. What he, y'all have a mama. You know how it works. She didn't even hear what he said. His mother. Let's stop right there. She represents, y'all with me? The womb of expectation. Write it down. Mary represents the womb of expectation. In every one of our gatherings, you got to have somebody present who has already given birth to a miracle before. Do you know why she could stand in that moment and draw God into a season of timing he said he wasn't ready for? Is she had already, she had already given birth to a miracle. Oh, I feel like I'm being poured out in here. Watch this. I need all the folks in here that have gray hairs like you that think you're about to ride off into the twilight to understand your assignment has never been more important than it is right now because we've got to have wombs of expectation that say, I know he said it's not time, but I've given birth before and we can do it again. You gray hairs in the room that feel like the lights and the smoke. And the, Listen, I'm so thankful for the gray hairs in my church that put up with the craziness we put on on Sunday. And I've been real honest with them. I know you don't need it. You should already be saved. But there is a generation that we are losing to hell. I'm trying to snag their attention for at least five seconds longer so that I can insert the word of eternal hope into their spirits. Hang on with us. It's because you don't need the smoke and the lights and the screens and the this and the that. There's a generation that has four screens in front of them at all times. We're trying to capture their imagination. Just hang out. We need you. We need you. Don't run off someplace. Don't quit us because we're using tech. You don't think Jesus would use technology? He'd use every tool he has. Hang out. We need wombs. Present in the building that when our hearts are broken, hold our hands and say, believe again. Stand still and see it will come to pass. Mary says to the servants, watch this, whatever he says, do it. Now watch this, because now she has created a subgroup. Oh, this thing is good. Watch this now. Pastor, whatever Colin says to you, do it. You know what I just created? A people waiting on a word. Oh, 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 because you know what happens when God gets a people who are waiting. He cannot resist a people who are waiting on a word. Speak, Lord. 
Your servants are listening. All of a sudden, the music of the wedding has been tuned out. All of a sudden, all of the other activities that are taking place at the celebration don't mean anything because we are waiting on a word. Waiting on a word, whatever he says. And this is what's called for in this season. Unquestioned obedience. Not going to tell you what he's going to say, but whatever he does say, do that. Don't matter if you got time for it, if it's convenient or if it's in your schedule or goes along with your life plan. Whatever he says, do it. Watch this. None of the rest winds up in history without obedience. I wonder will what won't wind up in the history of this great church because we questioned him when he spoke. We were too busy, the, too enamored with the celebration. See, because there's always people at the wedding that are not really there for the wedding. Whatever he says, you young people, you are the ones that will connect our hands to the pillars in the end times. Whatever he says, do that. Throw away your life plan. Throw, throw, away, throw away the dreams of what you can partake of in the culture and get a word from God and do that. Whatever he says, you know, because obedience unlocks the, unlocks the doors of time. Oh, I want to say that again. Obedience unlights. Not yet. All of a sudden, when I walk in obedience, obedience unlocks the doors of time. Obedience can turn a yet, not yet into a right now. Y'all got to help me with the time somewhere. Verse 6, you ready? I mean, we're all getting through it. I'm trying. Verse 6. <laughs> there were six. How many water pots? How many water pots do you believe that the scriptures are prophetic in nature? So you don't believe that that was happenstance. Because six is the number of, talk to me, six is the number of, point being, man is what he is going to fill in this moment. Tell your neighbor and say he's talking to you. Thank you. Thank you back there. Look at your neighbor and say he's talking to you. He wants a man or a woman. He doesn't need a fancy pot or a gifted pot or a shiny pot. He just needs an empty pot. He's looking for a man. Looking for a vessel. Availability is the greatest ability in the kingdom. Never forget that. You stop looking in the mirror and limiting what God can do through you because you do not see what he sees. It's going to fill a man. Oh, Lord, let us be those people. Woo! Let us be those people. There were six water pots of stone. Verse seven. I, gotta, I just got to quit. I got I to... Okay, watch. Verse 7. Fill, here's the, here's the command. Fill the water pots with water. Everybody shout, fill it up. Fill it up. But, he, but, here, but here is the key. 
You cannot fill what is already full. So the only way you can get filled with him is to get empty of everything else. You got to empty out the sin. You got to empty out the secrets. You got to empty out the mess and the mixture. You got to empty yourself of your plan and your dream, your vision and your goal. You got to get empty. Some of you this morning and tonight, that is your one quest is to get empty. Man, I got to get empty if I'm going to get filled. I got to get the self out. Some of us are so full of ourselves that we cannot be filled with him. Verse number eight. So watch, he says, verse eight, verse seven and verse eight are bookends for a miracle. Oh, thank you, Lord. Bookends. Fill it up. Pour it out. Fill it up. So in his first miracle, Jesus gave the church the pattern for revival. Fill it up. Pour it out. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. He said to them, draw out now. Let me deal with that piece. Draw out is the Greek word antelio. It's a nautical term for bailing water out of a ship. Now watch this. Because you do not bail water out of a ship uh, passively. You bail water out of a ship passionately. See, the part of the equation that the church has not got in this moment. We're at a place where we got enough of a remnant saying, you know what? Take the whole world. Give me Jesus. They're worshiping and they're seeking and they're learning and they're praising. They're getting the Philip part. Here's where I lose. Hold on. Because here's where I lose a crowd. Now, I done prayed this through. We love the Philip. You can even get people to come for the Philip. Fill me up till I overflow. I want to run. Well, that all sounds good, but for, for, for what do you want filled up? I'm going to hurry. See, what's poured in has to be poured out like lives depend on it. If we don't get the water out of the boat, we're going down with the boat. And here's the reality. I've been in this thing for over 50 years. I know it's hard to believe, but I'm 51 years old. And if we don't start bailing the water he's pouring in out, we will go down with the ship. Because Christianity in America as we know it cannot continue as we are. Fill it up. Pour it out. Now watch this. It is the poor that reveals the miracle. See, there's a lot of folks in here that don't... You don't even know what God did in you because you hadn't poured it out yet. You thought what you got was common, 
But when you start pouring it out, you'll find what you got was uncommon. Some of you got a miracle hidden in your life because all you ever did was had him pour it in. But the minute you get tipped, there is going to be a revealing of a miracle like you've never seen in your life. Tell your neighbor and say, I'm about to get tipped. Come on, I'm about to get my lean on in here. Sit down, because I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. See, you, this is the sad thing about the church. They would have walked around the wedding complaining of the inactivity of Jesus. Isn't this the church? Where is he at? Why isn't he moving? Are you kidding? He can't pour anything else in until you pour it out and reveal what he's already done. Man, I've never seen this. I've never seen this. I've never seen this. Watch now. Watch now. Every miracle has to have a tipping point. Honey, is anybody ready? I'm almost done. Come on. Every miracle has to have a tipping point. I declare over this house. I declare over restoring hope and everything connected to it. You have come to your tipping point moment. It's not coming, you're in it. You're in the middle of a miracle that must be tipped for it to be revealed. Malcolm Gladwell, the man who popularized the term tipping point, he defined tipping point as that magic moment when an idea, a trend, or a social behavior crosses a threshold, tips, and spreads like wildfire. I'm going to tell you, some of you that have come to this place, it has been an answer to your prayer. I prophesy to you. It has been an answer to your prayer, an oasis in the desert. It has been a well of living water. But what has been poured into you is greater than you could have imagined. And until you pour it out, you will never properly identify the miracle that has been released into your belly. Everybody shout the tipping point. See, this is going to be strange. Come here, Cole. Colin, I've watched you since you were 17 years old. Give your life wholeheartedly to Christ. I've seen God use you as a voice to your generation. You have had an infilling. But what God pours in, just lean with me. See, until you pour it out, the contents cannot move any further than the pot. But the minute you get tipped, it moves. I, I dare you, go home this afternoon. Get yourself a cup. And I want you to bring that cup to the tipping point. See, because it takes energy. Oh, I feel this. The energy that is in this building, it takes energy to move you to a lean. But when one gravity lets go, another gravity takes over. And when you begin to move what's in you beyond you, there is a force to move the contents beyond the pot.
I want, I want men to do this on your wife's counter. I won't open it, but watch this. See, it takes energy. And this is what we're in here doing today. Push, praise, give, sow, serve. But all of a sudden, once that thing gets to a certain point, you're at the tipping point. And once it falls, it gives energy to what's in the pot to move well beyond the pot. Restoring hope, I came to do one thing today and tell you that the miracle in you is greater than you know. That what God has deposited here is bigger than you could imagine. What he has instilled in this place now must be brought to the tipping point so that the contents move beyond the pot. Somebody get on your feet, say, God, tip me. Whatever you gotta do, Tip me till what's in me is released to those around me. I can't hear your church lift up your voice right now. Yay! It went in as water, but it comes out as wine. Some of you thought it went in as wine. Uh uh. It went in as water, but it's coming out as wine. It went in naturally, but when it comes out, it's coming out super naturally. We went in flesh, but it's coming out spirit. I'm quitting right here. Here's how he capped it off. This beginning of miracle did Jesus in Cana of Galilee look at your neighbor and say this ain't it there's more this is just the beginning this is just the beginning somebody come help me sing Becca somebody This is just the beginning. Our Sunday mornings, our special services, you know what they really become about see discipleship was about to be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry y'all with me anymore yes. Yes. with me anymore discipleship was about to be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry let me say that again discipleship was supposed to be about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry you know what we've just turned into a bless me club Trying to prop people up so they can keep coming back. See, we've become great at gathering them. Not so great at deploying them. We understand the context 
for trying to get him to come. We have no context for trying to get him to go. And this morning, I, I'll be honest, I did not come to get you blessed. I came to get you tipped. Because you've already been blessed. You have such a wealth. Put your hands on your belly all over the room. If you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, now is the time to just let that water out. But you got more invested in you than you can imagine. You hear me? You've got everything you need in you now for what God has called you to do. I have bestowed and ingratiated, filled you, my daughter. But you have come to your tipping point moment. And when you tip, you'll see that what I put in you is bigger, greater, fuller, richer than you could have ever begun to imagine. It's time for you to get tipped in my presence. Sheha bakishte. Sheila bahiobunde. Shatabahate. Restoring hope. I prophesy to you, you're at your tipping point. When this church gets tipped so that the contents move beyond the jar, can I tell you, Nashville, Tennessee is about to receive a revival of miracles. And this is just the beginning. If you're in this room, now listen to me. If you're in this room and you say, Pastor, I feel it all over me. God's calling me to deeper. He's calling me to service. He's calling me to serve. I want you to get out of your seat and make your way to this altar quickly, quickly, quickly. All over the building, everyone that feels, I believe God is moving me into a new dimension of His glory for the purpose of accomplishing His will in the earth. Now is my time. I'm ready, Lord. I'm ready. Come on, get out of your seat when you get here. You're not waiting on anything. What you're waiting on will meet you at this altar. It's a tipping point moment. What are you going to do? We say, yes, Lord. With everything that we are, we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Father God, before I know the equation, before I understand fully the plan, my soul says, yes, Lord. Tip, tip, tipped in his name. Tipped for his glory. Throw your hands up, young man. In the name of Jesus, I've received enough. It's my time. Tip me in your presence. Tip me until I overflow. Lift your hands. That's it. Tip a generation. Tip a generation and reveal that there are still 7,000 that have never bowed their knee to Baal. Tip a generation. Fill them with signs and wonders and miracles so that when you tip them over, it tips them upon a generation sitting in darkness. Oh God, we pray, tip us. Tip us, Father. Shanda Bakio Lobo Stilalabahai. Tip me.